Welcome to the AEM Education and Training Podcast, a collaboration between Brown University Emergency Medicine and the editors of the Academic Emergency Medicine Education and Training Journal. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and here's what we've got for you today. Racism in the United States has been declared a public health crisis, and the legacy of structural racism affects how we educate learners, treat patients, and do our work within the House of Medicine. Since the death of George Floyd in 2020, many training programs have committed to incorporating anti-racist content into their curricula. So today, we're talking to the lead author of a new AEM education and training paper entitled, A Critical Race Theory Curriculum for Emergency Medicine Learners. Dr. Tomas Diaz is an assistant professor of emergency medicine and a medical educator at Columbia University Medical Center. He's assistant clerkship director for the New York Presbyterian Columbia Cornell Emergency Medicine Residency and a Foundations of Clinical Medicine coach at the Columbia University College of Physicians and Surgeons. His scholarly interests lie at the intersection of medical education and health justice, and I'm excited to speak to him today about this new curriculum in critical race theory geared towards emergency medicine residents and how residents reacted to it. Don't forget to read the full text of this article available on our blog at brownemblog.com. Dr. Diaz, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming to talk to us about this paper. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. So I want to start with a slightly personal question, and and that is, what actually specifically motivated you and your team to design this curriculum in the first place? Yeah, I mean, frankly, this is what I think about all of the time, this sort of work. Um, I'm constantly reading articles, listening to podcasts, consuming content that speaks to health justice, and in particular, racial justice. Mm-hmm. And for a very long time, I'd been saving links uh, to some of my favorite content in a Google Doc. And fortunately, but unfortunately, 2020 sort of provided a moment during which I could organize and curate some of this content into a curriculum, in this case, specifically for the incoming EM um, PGY1s at UCSF, who had explicitly requested this sort of material. Um, and so I had been thinking of developing and leading a racial equity um, sort of quote unquote book club that would discuss an article or book chapter or podcast episode each month. But then this opportunity came along um, and it seems like a, a perfect fit for the the group of EM learners. Okay. So I don't need you to, you know, actually teach the curriculum here. That would be, that would be difficult, but can you give listeners who really might not be as, as up to date on um, the terminology or who may not be familiar with it, a very quick introduction to the concept of critical race theory? Sure. Um, I think now more than ever, critical race theory is frequently cited, but not always well understood. Mm-hmm. Um Critical race theory is a a framework that originated in the legal scholarship as a way of examining relationships of race and power within uh, law. Um, But its use has since been expanded to political science and education and and other fields as well, but medicine sort of not so much. Um, It's not necessarily synonymous with anti-racism, which I know is um, a big topic right now. Um, It's it's far more specific and has specific tenets. which include things like 
an appreciation for the the ubiquity of racism, um, intersectionality, that is the, the recognition that our racialized experiences are mediated by other social identities as well, such as gender or queerness, um, skepticism of dominant narratives, and, and humility in the sense that stories of people of color are recognized as expert knowledge in and of themselves. Uh, storytelling is kind of a big thing in, in critical race theory. Okay. So what is known about the impact of structural racism on the health of marginalized groups in the United States? You mentioned some data in the introduction of your paper. So could you summarize some of that for the listeners? I just want to drive home the point about why we should care about this. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there are lots of examples. Um, I think traditionally the, uh, the suffering of white communities has, has largely been medicalized while um, in the United States, the suffering of black communities, communities of color more broadly have been disregarded, criminalized, and even exacerbated um, by the medical community. You know, one thing I think about as a, as a clear example, the way we frame the opioid ep- epidemic, which has harmed a significant number of white families versus how we think about the crack epidemic, which disproportionately affected black families. Former, the former in, in that example is medicalized and the latter is criminalized. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, I think another often cited example is um, redlining in the United States in which the federal government and financial institutions drew literal red lines around black neighborhoods um, and undervalued black homes, um, which had the impact of reducing black wealth and home ownership, as well as concentrating black families in certain areas. And now today, perhaps unsurprisingly, these certain areas that were redlined have reduced access to green space and clean air and other factors which have been shown to impact health indicators such as asthma and and rates of prematurity, things like that. And bringing it closer to home and and medical education, I think within medicine, the legacy of the Flexner Report um, from 1910 um, and structural racism are at play when we reflect on the historical exclusion of of people of color and specifically black people from the medical profession. Um, That report had the impact of closing all but two historically black medical schools and and deprived essentially generations of black patients of the opportunity to have race concordant care, which we know race concordant care um, has benefits um, um, among black patients. Okay, thank you for that. So, so let's talk about your curriculum. Uh, tell us a little bit about the design and the content. Sure. So, um, fifteen incoming uh, EM interns at UCSF were invited to participate in this curriculum, and it was um, on a voluntary basis uh, for this first pilot. Um, ultimately, eight learners opted in and completed the curriculum, and all of the sessions were facilitated by myself and Star Knight. Um, who's my co-author on the paper, and we both have experience guiding workshop discussions related to topics of race and racism. Um, In total, there were five sessions which were held over Zoom because of the pandemic. Um, The initial session was 90 minutes, but the real-time feedback from the participants was that they wanted longer sessions, so we extended to two hours for the remaining four sessions. And um, each session had a specific topic, um, which uh, was um, some initial pre-work was provided that then we explored um, in conversation during that session. 
And were all of the um, materials, were they all curated? Were they all things that you had collected in the Google Doc or did you develop original content as well? Yeah, so all of the material was curated from ready, readily available podcasts, scholarly articles, book chapters, um, and that was intentional. We wanted something easily accessible and easily shared. Um, mm -hmm. And um, the first session was sort of a review of some important history and an exploration of, you know, emotions surrounding current and past events to set up a very vulnerable space. Um, and then the subsequent sessions. Um, sort of brought things closer to medicine. Um, and prior to each session, learners were provided um, the pre-session materials, um, which the intent behind that was to um, make this work less intimidating, understanding that people were coming from uh, different perspectives and from different familiarity with some of this history and some of these topics. So um, we provided some foundational knowledge on critical race theory in U.S. history, um, and then also provided a history of racism and activism in San Francisco specifically to speak to the local context in which uh, this particular group of learners would be practicing. Mm, okay. And um, what race did the learners primarily identify with? So the notably, the participants were largely, although not exclusively, from groups um, overrepresented in medicine, that is to say, uh, white and specifically East Asian. Um, if I were to speculate, which I am going to do, I think part of that is the nature of the current demographics of, of medicine. Mm -hmm. um, part of that is people who identify with groups excluded from medicine probably being kind of emotionally exhausted um, mm. in June 2020. Um, and part of that is, I'm sure, people just wanting to understandably protect their free time because this was an add-on to uh, their, uh, their orientation um, sort of schedule rather than um, uh, fully incorporated, at least this first iteration. Um, was not um, fully incorporated into their um, orientation. So it was an add-on and they had to give their own time. I see. So let's talk about how the curriculum was received by the learners and how you went about studying that. So just tell us a little bit about your study design and, and your methods there. Sure. Well, obviously the learners loved it. Um, <laughs> and I, I genuinely loved leading it as well. Um, some of the participants continue to share ideas and content with me, even though um, I'm currently no longer at UCSF. Um, mm -hmm. You know, part of that I'm sure was a, a selection bias given the opt-in <laughs> participation. Um, but I think they were also a group that had really high expectations. So I'm, I'm glad they felt fulfilled. Um, so this initial pilot, um, we, um, we solicited um, survey feedback that was qualitative and quantitative. Um, so asking the, uh, the learners um, about things like familiarity with critical race theory, um, comfort, discussing topics of racism, um, comfort, analyzing um, topics of racism, um, sort of having a framework for, for these topics. 
um, and then just satisfaction with the the course um, in general. And so you you gave me a little teaser, but what were the resident perceptions about the <laughs> curriculum and, and its efficacy? <laughs> yeah, so I mean, numbers were low, so analysis is limited, but um, survey data did suggest. Uh, increased comfort and sustained motivation discussing topics of racism among participants. This was a highly motivated group. So like the pre-curriculum numbers were already very high, um, unsurprisingly. Mm -hmm. Um, There was uh, a statistically significant increase in familiarity with critical race theory and the tenets of critical race theory. Perhaps that's unsurprising because it was something that we specifically sort of defined and went through as a group. And then learners were nearly significantly more likely to report having a framework for analyzing topics of race and racism, which, um, you know, I think is perhaps the the more important part. Mm -hmm. Um, And in terms of some of the the qualitative feedback, um, you know, one participant uh, focused on that enjoying that each session had a theme because racism is such a broad topic. It sort of made the approach less intimidating. Um, they enjoyed the progression of the thematic content and the, the editorial choices. Um, I think some of the challenges or, or some of the negative feedback or room for improvement is um, sort of the challenge speaks to the challenge of, teaching to different levels of learners. Um, Some people were eager to go deeper and um, really dive in while some people were still um, more at the introductory level. And I think that is something that, you know, is always a challenge um, as an educator, um, but was something that was pointed out by the participants. So what comes next for this curriculum? Is this something that you're hoping to make more widely available? Um, Absolutely, if anybody wants it. Um, We led a a modified version of this curriculum this past June, so for the the second iteration. Um, And this time, participation was mandatory because buy-in by the department and residency leadership, so it was incorporated formally into the orientation for the, the interns. Um, and it was equally well received. Um, so that felt promising. Um, like I said, I certainly hope that others are interested in adopting um, either partially or completely, whether they come across it in publication or or hear this podcast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think, you know, though it wasn't the initial intent when I was gathering these materials, I think the success we had leading the curriculum over Zoom also presents an opportunity for programs or departments without in-house expertise to still enact this or, or a similar curriculum um, in some fashion. So, so I think that's exciting. And I think one of the things in terms of what's next, thinking even just beyond the curriculum, I think one of the things that made this curriculum super special was the focus on, on action in the last session. So participants brainstormed racial justice projects to take on. And, you know, I'm so proud of the work that they've been advancing So they've been involved in working towards language justice and interpreter access in the ED, as well as the development of a community advisory board for the ED. And those ideas were theirs, and I just helped support. So that 
I feel is also sort of part of the legacy of, of this curriculum. That's fantastic. I imagine that you will get people <laughs> contacting you to, uh, to talk about uh, borrowing the curriculum, which I think is, I think that's great. And so to end, what, what do you hope that readers of this paper or listeners of this podcast come away with um, people who may not have been really immersed in um, thinking about these issues? What do you think they should come away with? Yeah, I, I hope that readers take away, honestly, a sense of curiosity and an intrigue regarding, regarding critical race theory as a framework. Um, again, teaching to, to frameworks and, and ways of, of analyzing these situations. Fact-based knowledge is great, but learning frameworks helps apply past experiences and knowledge to new situations. Um, you know, I was really proud um, in, a, in a way. In, in San Francisco this past year, anti-Asian hate incidents were even more of a problem than baseline. And it was sort of a proud moment to hear the curriculum participants translate some of the same language and ideas that we had discussed regarding anti-Blackness during our sessions to a related issue, while simultaneously appreciating the differences between the, the Black context and East Asian context. And that to me, you know, I can't really quantify it, but that signaled success to me in the sense that they were able to take with them this framework to then apply to different and new situations. So that's what I hope that um, others can, can draw from this curriculum as well. Well, thank you again for coming to talk to us about this and for your work. I think it's extraordinarily important and um, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes out of the curriculum. Thank you for having me. Happy to chat anytime. Thanks for listening to this AEM Education and Training Podcast. Be sure to read the full text of this article available on our blog at brownemblog.com. Subscribe to all our AEM podcasts on Apple Podcasts. Search for AEM Early Access, all one word. Today's music is by Scott Holmes. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and we'll see you next time.